0: great to be here with all you guys this morning. Uh, I know especially some of you that have been gone for the summer starting to trickle back in. Uh, this is my favorite time of year, just uh, getting to see so many of my friends come back that have been away for a while, and then also knowing that I'm going to get to meet a lot of new friends here in the coming weeks. Uh, but as we're wrapping up um, summer this this week, we're also going to be wrapping up the Book of Acts that we've been preaching through all summer, and it got me thinking about uh, Endings of stories, right? Like, how, how do you end the story? This is something that uh, is notoriously difficult. Um, I, I Googled most disappointing endings to TV shows. If you Google that, you'll get over 10 million results. <laughs> there, there are endless uh, blogs and, and articles that people want to write of, uh, ranting and complaining about how they didn't like the ending uh, to a certain story. Even if they thought the story itself was great, it can be really difficult to know how to wrap something up. Um, some endings are really controversial. They leave loose ends that some viewers really love and that some viewers really hate. Uh, by the way, do you guys think that the top kept spinning at the end of Inception? Anyone? No? Oh, okay, I, I love Inception. I, I I think it toppled, but anyway... Um, Today, we're going to be wrapping up our study in the book of Acts that we've been doing all summer. And it has an ending that you might say is a little bit controversial or a little bit abrupt. Uh, Maybe leave some open ends. Uh, It's not super satisfying in some ways, but I do think that there's a reason for that. Um, But we won't get into that until the end of the sermon. Uh, For now, we're going to be looking at this final scene of Acts. And uh, in it, we're going to see four realities about the Apostle Paul's life Uh, that are also realities for us as Christians today. So let's pray, and then we'll dive into our text. God, we thank you that you're here. Lord, uh, we just want to be people that praise you no matter what. I thank you that we're able to sing praises together to you every Sunday, that we can uh, come and, and hear your word preached. Holy Spirit, we pray that Uh, You would move in our hearts this morning. Help us to uh, hear your word and and to understand it and to apply it in our lives, God. Help us to know you more this morning. Help us to fall more in love with you this morning. Help us to see more of your heart for us this morning. And God, empower us to be the people that you want us to be. We love you so much and thank you for who you are. Uh, We pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts chapter 28, uh, verses 11 to 31 this morning. And uh, just to kind of give you up to speed on what's happened uh, to get us to this point, for the last several chapters in Acts, we've been following the Apostle Paul as he's been making a journey to Rome. Uh, Now he's going there as a prisoner. Uh, He's already done a lot of missionary journeys on his own volition before, but for this one, uh, he's actually traveling all the way across the Mediterranean from Jerusalem to Rome uh, as a prisoner. And the reason that he's a prisoner is because uh, he had made a lot of enemies in his life. Uh, Paul was at one point a very devout Jew. He was actually a Pharisee, so someone who was an expert in the law, and um, he wanted to stomp out this Jesus movement, these people that were following Jesus, and in and, and his mind were uh, attacking his belief in, in Judaism. And so he was trying everything that he could to stop this movement. And uh, one time he was even going to another city to try and stamp out this, this uh, Jesus movement that had started up in Damascus. And uh, when he was on the road there, Jesus appeared to him. And he went from uh, being a persecutor of Christians to becoming a Christian, and this is amazing for the Christians, right? They, they just got an awesome person on their team, but his former friends weren't very happy about it. And so people really relatively quickly started hatching murder plots against him. And he's been running around trying to get away from some of those. He's had a ton of success in spreading the gospel around to a bunch of different cities. Uh, but eventually he felt that the Lord was calling him back to Jerusalem, back to this Center of Judaism where he used to live. And uh, when he went back, it didn't take too long to where he went into the temple, and there was an angry mob that grabbed him and nearly killed him. Uh, but some Roman soldiers saw what was going on, they came down, rescued him, and brought him into their barracks. Uh, now he's a prisoner there, but he hadn't really done anything wrong, he hadn't broken any Roman laws. Um, And after he'd been sitting in in prison for a long time and nothing was really happening uh, because the Romans said, hey, you haven't done anything wrong, but they didn't really want to release him either because they didn't want to have a riot on their hands. Uh, So finally he says, hey, I appeal to Caesar, which is something that he was allowed to do as a Roman citizen. He can say, you guys aren't deciding my case. I want to go and argue my case before Caesar. And so he's allowed to do that. They put him on a ship. And he starts to sail off towards Rome, which is about 1,500 miles away from Jerusalem. So a long journey. Remember, you're, you're talking about sailing this on an old wooden ship. And uh, they left at a bad time of year to where they got caught up in a really bad storm and even got shipwrecked on this tiny island called Malta in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. Um, thankfully, the natives were really kind to them there and uh, took care of them for the winter, allowed them to stay there for a few months. And then finally, they're getting ready to leave this island of Malta, and and Paul is ready to make that final journey to Rome, and that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. So, Acts 28, verse 11, says, at the end of three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship, which had wintered at the island, and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There, we found some brethren, and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they had heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. We're going to stop there for a second. I said there's four truths I want to point out about Paul's life that I think also apply to us as Christians today. And the first two are going to just come from this tiny section we read here. And the first is that um, we have protection as Christians. We have protection. Something that sticks out to me in this passage is the way that God had protected Paul and allowed him to make it all the way to Rome. I just took you through some of the, the very difficult things that Paul had been through, right? He was almost killed in Jerusalem, but God promised that he would make it to Rome. If you go all the way back to Acts chapter 23, decent ways back in the story, Acts 23, 10 to 11, uh, says this. As a great dissension was developing, the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them and ordered the troops to go down and take him, aw- take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. That's that riot the mob that grabbed him I was telling you about earlier. So they're, they're almost pu- pulling him to pieces. It says, verse 11, But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, you must witness at Rome also. So God had promised Paul uh, much before this that he was going to get him to Rome and that he was going to have the opportunity to share the gospel in Rome. And even after this, this promise, he had to survive the mob. There was a, a murder plot that was actually trying to kill him even when he was a prisoner. He had to survive this incredibly treacherous journey at sea, being shipwrecked was no joke. Um, and, and he makes it through all of this stuff because God is protecting him, making sure that he fulfills his promise to get Paul to Rome and allow him to share the gospel there. You know, Luke mentions that they set uh, sail on a ship that had the twin brothers as its figurehead. Now, uh, the twin brothers are part of Greek and Roman mythology, and they were thought to protect sailors at sea. Uh, so it's no wonder that the sailors wanted to set off on a ship like this after they had just been shipwrecked and had been spending three months at, at Malta. But it's kind of funny that Luke even mentions this, be- because we know that these idols aren't able to actually do anything to protect the sailors at sea. Um, in the midst of the storm, it was Paul's God very clearly that was protecting that whole crew and all the other prisoners because he was there. And that he was the one that was going to allow them to make it sure that they made it to Rome against all odds. As God protected Paul and delivered him from death and danger, he was adding to his already very well-established track record of protecting his people. You look throughout the scripture and you see God doing this constantly. He protected his uh, people, the Israelites, as their back was against the wall at the Red Sea and, and the Egyptian army was bearing down on them. He parted the Red Sea and allowed them to cross through. He protected David when he went out to battle the giant, Goliath. He protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they were thrown into a fiery furnace. He protected Daniel when he was thrown into the lion's den. You know, God oftentimes calls his people into dangerous and difficult situations, but he sees that we're there, and he's with us in the midst of it. When Jesus sent his disciples out to preach for a period of time, uh, he warned them about some really difficult things that they were going to encounter. But in the midst of that, he said this in Matthew 10, verses 28 to 31. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. God values his people. If he values sparrows, <laughs> you can be sure that he values you, the one who's made in his image. There are some terrible things that can happen to you in this world. And there are some terrible things that people can do to you, but at the end of the day, they can only take your life. So Jesus says, don't fear the ones that can only kill the body. The only one that we should really fear is the one that can kill both the body and the soul, is God. You know, God often delivers his people from dangerous situations, as I've showed, and and there's a large track record for that. But he doesn't always do that. Sometimes, those people do kill the body. We saw earlier in the book of Acts, he allowed Stephen to be stoned to death by an angry mob. We saw that he allowed James, the brother of John, to be put to death with the sword. In Jesus' time, we saw that he allowed John the Baptist to be beheaded. But even in these terrible tragedies... These men were only able to take their lives. We have one that protects our very souls. I love what Peter wrote to a church that was suffering. It reminds them of this in 1 Peter 2, 24-25. He himself, talking about Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now, what a beautiful truth that we have a shepherd and guardian of our souls. One that, that bore our sins in his body, that we could be forgiven. And guys, that's, that's the heart of Christianity. This gospel message that, that Jesus Christ saw us in our difficulty and in our distress and in our helplessness. Knowing that there was nothing that we could do to save us, knowing that we needed protection, knowing that we needed salvation, he says, I'm going to come, I'm going to take on flesh. And he does that. Jesus came, he's God in the flesh, walks the earth, lives a perfect life, and he dies on the cross, not for his own sins, but for yours and for mine, so that we could be forgiven. And the payment for our sins was made by the blood of Jesus rather than our own. And with that, we know that no matter what happens in this world, whether we're delivered from danger the way that Paul was in the sea, at, uh, in the Mediterranean, or whether we're not, the, the way that Stephen was allowed to be stoned to death, no matter what happens in this world, ultimately, we have the surest protection we could ever hope for, which is that we have a shepherd and guardian of our souls for eternity. You know, Paul wrote in Romans 8.31, he says, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? And man, the next time that God calls you to do something scary, remember that you have a protector. The greatest kind of protector. One that can shepherd and guard your very soul. What can man do to you if you have that kind of protector? So I just encourage you, whatever it is that God calls you into, even this week, as we go out and we're trying to be bold and reaching people with the gospel, do not fear man. Like, like we let fear of man impact our lives negatively in so many ways. And yet we have the greatest protector that we could ever ask for. You know, not only does God protect his people, but he also provides for them. It's the second major truth I want to point out this morning is that we have provision. Paul was protected on his journey, but he was also well cared for uh, with some good old-fashioned Christian hospitality. Right, We see this in uh, verses 13 and 14. It says that when they came to Puteoli, he says, there we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. Now, I don't know who all got to stay for seven days. Paul was traveling with 267 other people on the original ship. Um, I don't know if they split up or something, but regardless, whoever it was, Paul and some people got to stay with these Christians for seven days on their way into Rome. And Man, in this place, they were likely well cared for with some home cooking in the midst of a hard journey. And and this is cool because generosity and hospitality are Christian hallmarks. They're actually a huge part of the Christian life. Hebrews 13, one to three says, "'Let love of the brethren continue. "'Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, "'for by this some have entertained angels "'without knowing it. "'Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them.'" And those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. These Putiolan Christians were doing a great job of living out this Christian hospitality. You know, God loves to provide for his people, and he oftentimes does this through his people. He turns us into people that know how to love and care for others, and that are eager to show generosity and hospitality. And guys, right now, we have the opportunity this week to be people of hospitality to a bunch, like of thousands of people that are moving into our neighborhood? What can we do to help them settle in and feel more safe and more at home as they're coming in? Just like what Kurt shared in his Slice of Life up here, right, something very simple. That's an act of hospitality, right? He, he was in a, a space where he was uh, nervous, anxious, didn't feel like he was, was comfortable, and what happened? Someone said, hey, I'm welcoming you into my home, I'm welcoming you into my territory. That's what we get to do with all these people that are moving into our community here. Think of ways that you can be providing for others, being generous, helping them with whatever needs they might have. It's so cool that when you become a Christian, you join a global family. Right? Like We have brothers and sisters that are willing to take care of us all around the globe. It's the coolest thing. Right? You have so many brothers and sisters that you haven't even met yet. But they love you. And, and many of them are praying for you. I think, unfortunately, a lot of us don't see our Christian family this way, but any time that I've been able to travel internationally and meet Christians in other countries, it's so cool because I'm like, yes, you're my brother, you're my sister. And, and the kind of hospitality I've been shown and the care I've been shown it has proven that to be true. You know, there was even here in the United States, I, I had a story where I was so thankful somebody actually like, saw me as their brother just because I was a Christian. I, I got an email one time totally out of the blue from a guy uh, that was telling him, hey, I think God's telling me to come to Cincinnati, and I don't know why. <laughs> He'd never seen me. He just found my email on the website. And so I meet up with him in TUC, and uh, it's like, next thing you know, he's staying at my house for, like, several weeks. Never met the guy before. But well, he was my brother in Christ. And, like, we ended up forming a good friendship that we, that we still have to this day. As Christians, we take care of each other. And, you know, not only do we take care of each other physically, But they were also taking care of each other emotionally. Look at verses 14 and 15. It says, And thus we came to Rome. And the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Man, not only did Christians take care of Paul's physical needs, but they were taking care of his emotional needs. The market of Appius was about a 40-mile journey away from where they were. Three Inns was about 30 miles away. Uh, Those aren't easy journeys to make on foot. Has anyone walked 40 miles recently? 30 miles? (laughs) We're impressed when people run a marathon. That's Um, 26.2. These people are walking generally from these places to come and see Paul and to encourage him. And this was probably really important to Paul because, you know, God promised to get him to Rome, but now he was there. What happened next? He's about to go on trial before Caesar. He has no idea what his fate is going to be. All he knows is that God promised he was going to get him to Rome. You know, this probably would have been specifically very encouraging to Paul because he had never been to Rome before. But he had written the, the Christians in Rome a really long letter, which we went through uh, uh, not long ago here in HO. We preached through that um, He wrote a book of the Bible called Romans, but really it's just a a letter that he wrote to this church. And he loved these people because they were his brothers and sisters, even though he never met them. Matter of fact, he prayed for them consistently. Look at, uh, this is near the beginning of his letter in Romans, uh, Romans 1, verses 8 to 12. He said this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at least, if perhaps now, at last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul wrote this letter a while back. <laughs> and, and I don't know that he thought he was going to make it to Rome under these circumstances, there as a prisoner, but he's made it. And what was he praying? That they would be able to mutually encourage one another. What is it that happened here? They were able to mutually encourage each other, right? They're coming from 30, 40 miles away to come and see him. And it says that, that Paul was encouraged when he came and got to see them. We have a God that knows all of our needs, and he knows how to provide for every single one of those needs, whether it's physical, emotional, anything else. He promises to provide for these as we seek his kingdom first. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 to 33. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God knows everything that you need, and he knows how to provide it. I, just, I think it's so cool that God provided for, for that encouragement that Paul wanted, that he wrote about way back in Romans. As we seek his kingdom first, he's going to take care of all the other needs that you have in your life prioritize him, and he'll, he'll make sure he takes care of the rest. So think about this when you're making the decisions in your life, about your career or, you know, where you live or any of these kind of things, how you spend your time. Are you letting fear of provision be what drives those decisions? Because I think a lot of the time that is. A lot of time the things that drive our decisions are us worrying about how we're going to take care of ourselves. But the way the Christian lives life is actually, no, God, what do you want me to do? I'm seeking you. I'm seeking you. I'm seeking you. I trust that you're going to take care of the other things. I want to move on to the, in the rest of our story here. We're going to close out the, the last few verses of Acts. Uh, picking back up in Acts 28, verse 16. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, brethren. Though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain. For the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any one of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. Some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. And when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull, and with their ears they scarcely hear. They have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will also listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Right. That's the end of the book of Acts. And uh, there's two other major points I want to draw from this section. And uh, the first is just that we have a reputation like, Paul personally had a reputation, right? To some, it was positive. There were people coming from 30, 40 miles away to come and see him. Uh, to others, it was negative, okay? Like the Jews in Jerusalem that heard what he was doing, and as soon as he got to the temple, they wanted to grab him and kill him. Um, these particular Jews in Rome said that they hadn't heard anything about him, but they had heard about the sect, which is Christianity. They'd heard about his people, the people that he was affiliated with, um, and that's what they said, man, we, we haven't gotten any letters about you. We haven't heard anything bad about you. But they said in verse 22, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere. All right, why is it that Christianity would be spoken against everywhere? Right? Like we were just talking about generosity and hospitality being hallmarks of Christians. And they absolutely were. Even if you read pagan sources, Uh, They were surprised by the kind of hospitality and generosity that Christians showed in caring for people. So why is it that it would be spoken against everywhere? Well, the Jews here were speaking against Christianity because they saw it as an attack on their way of life and an abandonment of their sacred teachings. The same way that Paul did back when he was a Pharisee and was persecuting Christians. But in fact... Christianity is simply the product of what their religion was always designed to actually mature into in the first place. To use an illustration, Christianity is almost it's like the butterfly that the caterpillar of, of Judaism was always designed to become. This is why Paul says that he had done nothing, to turn, uh, nothing against his people and their customs. He's saying everything that I'm doing is actually in line with what God was setting up all along. That's why he said that he's wearing this chain for the hope of Israel. The last thing he wants to do is tear down Judaism. What he wants to help the people see is that everything that they love about the Old Testament, which is three-quarters of our Bible as Christians, is pointing forward to this truth about Jesus. This is why he says that he preaches to them from morning to night. From what? The New Testament? No, it's still being written. He's preaching to them Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophets. Morning till evening, Paul wasn't doing anything to try to destroy Judaism. He was trying to help them see what the one true God had always designed to be the way that people would be connected to him, which ultimately is through the blood of his son, Jesus. You know, Paul and his fellow Christians were misunderstood, but so was Jesus, right? Jesus was literally the, he was perfect, but there were enough people that hated him that an angry mob was able to convince Rome to crucify him. Jesus was hated even though he did nothing but love. Right? Like literally, you, you can't get a better person than Jesus. And if, if he was hated and he was misunderstood, then we can certainly expect the same kind of things to happen to his followers. Jesus himself warned about this. In John 15, 18 to 20, he said, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also." You know, today most of us don't find ourselves hated or persecuted for launching an attack on Judaism the way that that Paul's fellow Jews thought he was doing that. But as Christians, we may find ourselves hated for plenty of other things. We're oftentimes misunderstood to be tearing down things that people love. But in reality, we're actually just trying to call them to the one that loves them and that wants to give them abundant life. The gospel message is offensive on some level. Like, right? It doesn't allow for pride. There's, there's, the, the, the gospel destroys our pride. It requires us to, to be humble and to say, I need a savior. It doesn't allow for idols. We like to be king of our own lives. The gospel is offensive because it kicks us off of the throne and puts Jesus on it. But it brings us to the one that gives life. This is what we ultimately want for people. We may be misunderstood no matter what we do, but let us be as clear as we possibly can. You know, if if we're hated for for preaching the gospel, then so be it. But let us not be hated for other stuff that we can avoid, right? Like let's continue to love, let's continue to be as as righteous and and as honest and um, as kind and understanding as we possibly can be. But at the end of the day, we have to understand sometimes people are still just going to hate us because they, they don't like the offense of the gospel of saying that, that you're not the king. And if Jesus is king and we're not, some, there, there's always going to be a rub. Every single one of us is going to have friction in our lives where he's telling us to lay down something that we don't want to lay down. And so we as Christians are calling people to put Jesus on the throne. And with that, we're calling people sometimes to lay down things that they don't want to lay down. And with that, we may be hated. But there are also some that will be persuaded. You know, the last thing that that I see here, the, the last truth I want to point out from this passage is that we have a mission. Right? We have protection, we have provision, we have a reputation, and we have a mission. We are trying to persuade people to follow Jesus. Right, like It says that very clearly here, Acts uh, twenty eight twenty three. It says, when they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. I, I want to be very clear about this. We are trying to persuade people to be Christians. <laughs> like, I don't know why some Christians try to act like that's not the case or they try to shy away from that. Like, if I have a friend someone's saying, "Are you trying to convert me?" Yes. Yes, I'm trying to convert you. Right like I don't know why we don't own that. Like it's it's not I'm not trying to do something selfishly. I'm trying to do it because I love you. You know, Paul owned this. Like uh look at this in Acts 26, 28 to 29. Agrippa basically asked this is one of the times where Paul was on trial, but many times he's been on trial. Uh Paul's witnessing to him, and Agrippa's kind of asked the, are you trying to convert me question? He says this. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, will you persuade me to become a Christian? And Paul said, I would wish to God that whether in a short or long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Yes, yes, I'm trying to convert you, and everyone else that's listening. John, one of Jesus' apostles, he owned this, right? Uh, This is the way he ends his gospel that he wrote. John uh, chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You want to know why I went through all the work to write this book? Because I am trying to persuade you. I want you to believe. And and, and it's not not a selfish thing, though. It's actually a very selfless thing. He says, "I, I want you to do this. Why? And that believing you may have life in his name. If we're not trying to convert people, we're not loving people. We are trying to persuade, and we have a reason that we are trying to persuade. What is on the line is important. It's eternal life. And you know, some are going to be persuaded and some won't. But, man, we, we consistently see this reaction where the gospel is preached, right? Paul, he's sitting there morning to evening trying to, to persuade these people because he loves them. What's their reaction? Some believe, some don't. That's what we've seen all throughout the book of Acts. Gospels preached, some believe, some don't. What happened when Jesus preached? Some people followed him. Some people didn't. Don't let your fear of failure be something that stops you from engaging in mission. If Jesus didn't bat a 1,000, you shouldn't expect to bat 1,000, <laughs> right? L- l- like, you're, you are going to be rejected sometimes. But you're also like, how, how are other people going to come to know if you don't step into this mission that God has given us? So uh, the band can come back up as I'm going to start to draw to a close here. I, uh, I mentioned how the book of Acts ends kind of abruptly, right? And in some ways, it's unsatisfying. In a sense, it's a happy ending, right? Paul is getting to preach freely in Rome. He's there for a couple years. He's getting to live in rented quarters. It's not, not a bad setup. But it feels like there's some loose ends, right? Like what happens to Paul? We've been waiting for him to have this trial before Caesar. We never get to see that. Does he even ever get to speak to Caesar? Does he ever get out of prison, or does he just live out the rest of his life on house arrest? None of these questions are answered in Scripture. Uh, we do have some extra biblical sources that indicate that Paul was released from prison, uh, and then that he was actually later arrested again in Rome, and then that he would later be uh, executed under the, the persecution of Christians that the Emperor Nero uh, started. But Paul isn't the main character of Acts. And that's why I actually love this ending because it's not about us knowing what happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. We've spent a lot of time with him in the second half of the book, but frankly, Paul wasn't even introduced in the book of Acts until we were already over a quarter of the way through it. And as a matter of fact, Paul wasn't even the main character of his own life. Look at some of these statements that he made. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's not even me who lives anymore, it's Jesus. Look at what he said in Acts 20, 24. He says, but I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And this is what my life is about. It's about Jesus. God is the main character of Acts. He's the main character of all the scripture. He's the main character of history. And we can't write a closing chapter on what happens with him because there will never be one. He's everlasting. There is no closing chapter on the Lord. He has no beginning and he has no end. But we do know what he's working towards actually the same thing that Paul was talking about all the time I love how those last two verses of Acts it says he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered So, what's he doing at the very end of Acts here, teaching about the kingdom of God. It's interesting, if you look how the book of Acts opens, very first three verses of Acts, one to th- Acts chapter 1, 1 to 3. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days, And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Isn't that cool? Jesus, we we open the book of Acts with with Jesus teaching about the kingdom of God. We close the book of Acts with Paul teaching about the kingdom of God. You know, it's appropriate that there isn't a lot of closure to the book of Acts because frankly we're still in the middle of it. We're at a time where the, the kingdom of God is already here but it's not yet fully here. Jesus came on the scene, he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And what was happening, the kingdom of God was being shown, like, demons were being driven out, and, and sick people were being healed, blind were being given sight, dead were even being raised, like, the, the, all of this restoration that we'll see in the kingdom of God, Jesus was bringing it with him where he went, and then even as he ascended into heaven, we see this same kind of thing being carried with the church, as the Holy Spirit is working miracles through the church, and he's bringing dead people to life. Uh, people are coming to know Jesus lives are being changed there's restoration that's happening the kingdom of God is breaking out but there's still a lot of darkness it's here but it's not yet fully here and so what we see in the book of Acts is just this advancing of the kingdom of God and we're still in this right now where we're getting to be these people that carry on the legacy of the church which is we're his kingdom people And we're helping build that kingdom wherever we go, and that's why we're trying to persuade people, right? We're trying to help invite people into that kingdom where God wants us to to be with him for eternity. He wants every single one of us and every person on that campus, every person in this world, eating at his table in his kingdom. Matter of fact, when when Jesus was about to be uh, crucified, when he was sharing his his last supper uh, with his disciples, knowing he would shortly be crucified, what was on his mind? That kingdom... That banquet table. Look at this, Matthew 26. This is, Jesus said this during his last supper with his disciples. Matthew 26, uh, verses 26 to 29. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Man, I, I, I get goosebumps just thinking about it. Jesus is, is, is saying, there's a day coming. I, I, I'm about to be leaving, right? Like, I'm, I'm about to be crucified. I know you guys are all about to scatter. I know there's difficult times that are coming. I know the pain that's before me, and he wasn't looking forward to it. But he was willing to go to the cross. Why? Because he knew what it was purchasing. He knew that that blood was for the forgiveness of sins that would purchase us entrance into that kingdom so that he c- could drink that, that new wine with us in his Father's kingdom one day. And man, we, we look forward to that day. I look forward to that day of of complete and total restoration where the kingdom of God isn't just partially here, but it's here in fullness and all sickness and death and sin and crying and pain and mourning are gone. But right now in the in-between, we prepare for that day and we help to prepare others for that day. So we're going to enter into a time of worship and we're going to take communion probably a familiar practice for most of you in this room there's, there's going to be broken bread in the back there's going to be uh, juice there as well and you can take a piece of bread you can dip it in the juice and as you do that you're remembering what, what Jesus said here this this body that was broken this blood that was poured out for our sins and yes it's a time of, of reflection and remembrance and thankfulness of, of what Jesus did on the cross but it is also a time of looking forward It's also a time of looking forward to say, yes, Jesus, I know that your body was broken for me. I know that your blood was poured out for me. I thank you for that, for the forgiveness of my sins, and I look forward to the reward that comes from it. That I'm going to get to eat with you in the Father's kingdom one day. So if you're a Christian, uh, we encourage you to, to take part in that practice of remembrance and looking forward. If you're not a Christian yet, uh, we'd ask that you just abstain from this practice because it doesn't really make sense because in, in, when you're doing this, you're declaring that you believe Jesus' body was broken for you and his blood was poured out for your sins. Um, if, if you're on the fence, and you're like, hey, I, I don't know. I, I think maybe I want to start following Jesus. I want to become a Christian. There's going to be people all around the room that have lanyards on with prayer tags. Uh, maybe you just have more questions that you need to have answered or something about what it means to start a relationship with Jesus and, and how to follow him. Uh, they would love to pray with you or maybe you just need some of that good old-fashioned Christian encouragement like Paul got from those Putiolan Christians. Um, then you can go and find people that would love to, to pray for you as well. So I'm going to pray for us as a group here. We're going to enter in time of worship. At any time as you're ready, you can go back and take communion. God, we love you, and uh, we just thank you that you're our God. Uh, we thank you for your blood poured out for us, uh, for your body that was broken for us. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the coming kingdom. And uh, God, we just pray that you would empower us as your witnesses to go forth and uh, to persuade others the way that, that Paul was was trying to persuade everyone that listened to him, his, his hope that, that everyone who would hear him would become as he was except for these chains. And so God, give us the boldness to go forth and, and to be witnesses. We thank you for your protection. We thank you for your provision. Lord, we know that that we have a a reputation. Some might like us, some might not like us. But God, no matter what, we we pray that you'd help us to honestly carry your name well. Draw us near to you, Lord, and help us to draw others near to you. Uh, We love you and pray this your son's awesome name.